Thank you for being with us today. If you're watching online, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, if you came in today, you saw maybe as you're coming around the corner, you saw a little sign there that said, watch out for bears. And I just, I want to let you know right up front here that uh, there are no, currently no bears on campus, but we are in bear country safari. This is their habitat, and there have been bears spotted here. And so uh, if you show up on the campus, maybe in the evening, that's generally when they come out. Uh, I just have one word of encouragement. Don't play with the bears. Okay? Just a little friendly, that's free advice to you. They don't play with the bears. And, uh, but it kind of reminds me of a story I heard about this guy who was an atheist. And uh, he was just taking a beautiful walk through the woods one day, and, and all of a sudden, he, he starts to hear this noise. And uh, when he turns around, uh, he sees this bear just come barreling down on him. Now, he's there in the middle of the forest, and, and so he tries to turn around to get away from the bear, and he stumbles, and he falls backwards, and the bear's getting closer and closer. And so finally, he doesn't know what else to do, but he cries out, God, help! I mean, the moment, I mean, here's this atheist, the moment he says, God, help! Everything stops. The birds stop tweeting. The skies open. There's a bright, shining light that comes down from heaven, hits right on him, and there's this voice. Am I now to count you uh, one of my believers? The guy's, well, I don't know about that. He goes, that might be a little hypocritical. You know, after all these years of denying you, he says, but uh, I do have one request. Maybe you can turn this bear into a Christian. So I'll. Clouds come back, the birds start tweeting, the bear comes right and stands right over top of him and says, Lord, thank you for this meal that I'm about to receive. <laughs> All right. This is what we do. This is what we do. Try to tell cheesy jokes. All right, stand with me this morning. We're going to read two passages of Scripture. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse number 23. Deuteronomy 14, 23, and then we're going to look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse number 35. And the Bible says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first. Everyone say, put God first. To put God first in your lives. Now, we're going to look over in the New Testament, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse number 35. Paul the Apostle is uh, talking to a group of believers that are around him, and he's sharing with them what God has done in their life and about the generosity of the people, how they've supported him in ministry. And he says these words, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Say that with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Over these next few moments, I want to talk to you on the topic of putting God first. Putting God first. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today for the work of your spirit in this third service. Lord, for the response at the altars, those, those who took a step of faith and are believing for you to do something supernatural in, your li in their lives. We thank you that you are the God of the supernatural. You always respond to the faith of your people. And God, I ask right now for everyone in this room that you would give them a spiritual ear to hear. God, you would give them a spiritual eye to see, and you would give me a mouth to speak. God, you would take my words and turn them into your words in the hearts of those who are here today. I ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful, your mighty, and your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I want to give you a little disclaimer right up front. The church is not in financial trouble. All right? Pastor Glenn mentioned that we've seen 25% increase in attendance on Sunday morning year to date. Our church giving is up 
14% year today. Come on, can you give God a great big hand? City Church Academy, you saw the building, that's uh, the concrete's being poured. This next week, they're actually going to pour the walls. They're going to take concrete, they're going to pour it right on top of that existing slab. They're going to bring this crane out in the next week, and they're going to lift those walls up in less, little over a week, they're going to be walls up. And before you know it, man, we're going to be bringing City Church Academy. And I want you to hear this today. City Church Academy currently has, from two years old to fourth grade, 179 students enrolled. Come on, can you give God a great big hand? That's our biggest enrollment in our history. The school, the attendance is up. The resources are up. We're so thankful. So the message that we're sharing today is a message to help us. Help us learn how to put God first and trust him in every single area of our life. Now, we live in a country, we are so blessed. We're entering into Thanksgiving season, and we have great needs in our lives many times, uh, but we've been a blessed people. I mean, we are so blessed that it's hard, actually hard for us to fathom how blessed we are as a people materially. If you've been to a, another country, if you've been to maybe a third world country, maybe you've been to like a place like Haiti, or maybe you've been to Cuba. We were in Cuba a couple of years ago, and you've seen people really living in poverty. You recognize or you realize how blessed we truly are. But I, I was thinking about this reality of the blessing of God in our nation. And do you know, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but do you know that if you live in a home that has runny water, and you walk over and you turn on the switch and the electricity actually comes on. And you walk over to the toilet and you flush it and something disappears. And you have a car in the driveway. And you make more than $35,000 a year. You're in the top 1% of wealth of all the people of the world. Did you hear that today? You're in the top. I mean, it's hard for us because, you know, we, we just see what we have. We compare ourselves to what other people have, and we don't feel like we have anything. Most people in the room feel like the other guy is rich. We don't see ourselves as being rich. We, we, we approach this area of generosity and giving, and we really struggle. And I have found, I have found that most people, not everybody, not ever, but many people struggle with this concept or this idea of trusting God and putting him first with their financial resources. So why do we struggle? Why do we really struggle? I have two thoughts on this. The first one, I call it the, the scarcity mentality. The scarcity mentality. The scarcity mentality simply says, this is all I have. This is all I have to meet this need, to take care of this need, and it's not going to be enough because it's not going to be enough this week. It's probably not going to be enough next week. And so we see our life through the lens of never having enough. This is how the cycle works. God provides. Everyone say, God provides. You got up this morning. You had breath. God gives you the ability to go to work tomorrow, to earn a paycheck. That's God's provision for your life. God supplies. The Bible says, my God shall supply your needs, right? So God supplies. So God supplies, we consume. When we consume, this is scarcity mindset, we find ourselves in a place of lack. Okay, if I do this, then I'm not going to be able to pay this bill or this bill or this bill. We have this lack, and then when we're living in a place of lack, we find ourselves in a place of fear. 
We start to live by fear. And here's the problem with fear. Fear is the greatest robber of faith in your life as a believer than anything else. Fear robs you of the peace of God. Fear robs you of the confidence of God. Fear robs you from being able to believe that God really is your source. And so what God does is God provides. We consume. We find ourselves in a place of lack. When we find ourselves in a place of lack, all of a sudden, fear captivates our heart. And then God provides. We consume. Come on, this is the cycle. This is exactly how it works in most people's lives. And so they go from, from paycheck to paycheck, never having enough. And so when you go to work, you slap a bumper sticker on the back of your car. It says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And we live in a mindset of lack. The disciples lived this way. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, the Bible says that Jesus was teaching multitudes of people. And thousands of people had gathered around Jesus to hear these profound words that this man was speaking. And the Bible says at the end of the day, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you feed them. You feed them. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you kidding me? There's no way. We've only got five loaves and two fishes. How can we do that? It's impossible. But here's the thing. What's impossible with man is possible with God to them that believe. And Jesus did. Jesus fed the 5,000. He took five, five fishes and two loaves, or whatever it is, five loaves and two fishes, and he fed thousands of people. Because he knew his source. He knew his source. And so the first thing that keeps us from giving from living a generous life is the scarcity mindset. The second thing is what I call the abundance or the affluence craze. It's the abundance of stuff. Now, we, we have stuff in our culture. We don't feel like we're rich, but if you've lived for any period of time, you just start to accumulate stuff. Now, when we first were married, we had a uh, we, we had a move. We moved from Portland, Oregon to Tucson, Arizona. That was our first home, Tucson, Arizona. And I remember we were living in Portland, and we brought our stuff together. We got married. She said, yes. She said, yes. <laughs> yes. And so we said, I do. And we loaded up this little 6 by 12 U-Haul. And it took everything we had to fill that up. As a matter of fact, we, we looked inside of there, and almost every single thing inside that 6 by 12 U-Haul was books. She had just finished eight years of college. I had finished my second year of college. And we just had, you know, if you go to school, and I know they got stuff on iPad now, but back then it was just books, and we had piles and piles of books, and that was almost everything we owed. We moved to Tucson, and, and uh, we had nothing. Our very first, our very first bed in a two-bedroom apartment infested with cockroaches. My sport, my favorite sport to play was watching cockroaches race down the hallway. I would trap them and then I would get a little can of butane with a lighter and I'd light them on fire and I'd watch them race and see how fast they could run. We were poor, sleeping on a sleeping bag. Two little two-bedroom cockroaches and infested apartment. But fast forward 30 years later. We're living in Oviedo, Florida, and we've accumulated stuff. Everyone say stuff. Lots of stuff. 
I mean, so much stuff. Yeah, this is so much stuff we accumulate. We get so much stuff that, you know, we got about $500 worth of junk, and we shove it in our garage, and it's piled all over. And then we have these automobiles that we spend tens of thousands of dollars, and guess where they get to sleep? <laughs> they get to sleep out in the driveway, right where they're supposed to be. But we have stuff. You get storerooms full of stuff. You know how you have stuff. You walk into your closet. And I'm just speaking to guys, and I don't, the girls, they don't do this, but this is just the guys. We walk into our closet, and uh, you got this shirt from Christmas, and then this shirt from your birthday, and this shirt that you went and bought yourself, and then you, know, you start multiplying that up. And so you go into your closet, and, and, and you start looking at what you have. And you go down the line, you got this shirt, this shirt, this shirt, this shirt, this shirt. And, and then you run out of room, and so you, you put another rack below that. And then you got stuff, 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 shirt, pants, shirt, shirt, shirt. You got stuff. And then you go upstairs one day, and you're getting dressed for a special function, and you're looking through your clothes, and all of a sudden you turn to your wife and say, I have nothing to wear. But we have stuff. And the more stuff you have, the more responsibilities you have. If you have one car, you have one insurance, and have to worry about putting gas in one vehicle. But if you have two cars, you have two insurances, two gas, two maintenance response. Right? Understand? So you, you just this stuff it just tends to multiply. And Jesus said this about stuff. He says, "Be on your guard. Watch out against every kind of greed, for our lives are not measured by the stuff." That we own. It's not by the abundance of stuff how we measure our life. Our success in life is not determined by how much stuff that we accumulate. Due to the average American today has $65,000 in personal debt. $65,000. You can Google it. $65,000 in personal debt. You know why? Because they got a bunch of stuff. And a bunch of stuff accumulates. And so we have to get more stuff, and we buy more stuff that we can't afford to please people that we don't even care about or don't even care about, we, care about us. And so this mindset of scarcity and the, the stuff of life rob us from the ability to be able to give. So how do we counteract that? How do we deal with that in our life? We have a value. We have a value as Christ followers. We live to give. Come on, say it with me. We live to give. We live to give. We believe, as Christ followers, that God has called us to live with a lifestyle of irrational generosity when it doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. City Church, way back, way back in the day, we were probably about four years of age, and we needed a new building. The place that we were currently leasing, the, they had new owners, and they were asking us to leave, and we needed a, a new facility, and I didn't know where to turn, and, and our rent had literally tripled. We were paying this much rent, and we, they got new owners, and they tripled our rent, and I was thinking, God, how are we going to do this? Like, we were barely making on the rent that we had, and how are we going to pay them three times more? But I got to tell you, let me tell you, when God is your source, when you're walking in God's will for your life, it's God's bill. When you're doing his will, it's always his bill. And it was amazing to see the provision of God. However, those next coming months, we, we never missed a bit. And I've told you this before, we've never been late on a payment. 19 years as a church, we've never been late. 
We, I mean, God's taking me right to the wire. Well, we're praying in it at the very moment, and we're running it down that day, but we've never been late. We've never missed a bill. We've never missed a payroll. We've never missed a rent check. We've never been late. God's been faithful. Come on, give God a great big hand. And I remember this so clearly. It was like yesterday. And this missionary called me on the phone and said, hey, there's this church in Mexico. I'm working with this pastor. Her name was Pastor Reina, which means Pastor Queen. And she was the queen bee. And uh, she working with, he was working with Pastor Reina. And they were meeting in a little tiny lean-to in Mexico. I mean, the little building that we were in, if you've ever seen a lean-to, I mean, it's when a, a group of people, or who they have houses like this, but this is their church building. They had like a, a piece of metal that they had found over on this side, and then they had a piece of plywood over here, and they had some plastic over here, and they had a tarp covering this over here, and it was the, the most ranshackle building I'd ever seen in my life. We actually have pictures of it. And, and then you had to walk down this little hill to get to where the front door was, and they'd set tires out. And you had to actually try to walk on the tires to get down this hill to get to the front door of this church. But this pastor, she was an amazing woman of faith. She was an amazing woman of faith. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I remember when I first met her, she was just something that was so different about her. So here we are in Florida. I get a call from a missionary, and he asks us, will you build, help us to build a church for Pastorina? And I just felt like we were supposed to do it. So we needed our own facility. We needed our own building. But I, I agreed that I would help this missionary build this church. Little did I know that this man, the, the people that bought our building that we were in, they would raise our rent, and we would be forced to try to find another place to, to, to lease or to buy. And so, uh, and so we go to Mexico, we build this building, and I, I'm just amazed at this lady's faith. And I remember as, as we came back to Florida, I remember, I remember standing before the people, telling them, showing them this great victory of how God had provided through us for this woman down there. It was in just a very short period of time after that that God miraculously opened a door for us. And within just a month, we went from not having a permanent place to purchasing a property over at 650 Airport Boulevard, which enabled City Church to lay a foundation. And we are here today because I believe when we were willing to step out, to break out of a scarcity and a lack mindset. We were willing to meet the needs of someone else. God took care of our needs. Someone said amen. I'm going to show you in the Bible exactly how it works. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 7, the Bible says, Each of you must decide in your heart how much you're going to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Put the next verse up. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. How do we break the scarcity mindset? How do we break the fear and the lack mindset? How do we get out of the, the stuff of life mentality? We learn to live to give generously. It's the heart of God. And this is what God says he'll do in verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. And for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Come on. He will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And then look at verse number 11. 
Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. We break out of that mindset of scarcity and lack and the stuff that wants to squeeze us into the world's mode by living to give. Because what I've discovered in life, that tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity and creates a new cycle of supply. Tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity and creates a new supply. It's the supply of faith. What I know about every Christ follower in this room, every person that calls himself by the name of Jesus, I know that you desire to be generous. And many of you are. But many of you feel trapped today. And I want to encourage us today, as we believe, as we believe the word of God, not the words of Eugene Smith, but as you believe the word of God, your faith will increase and you will see the God, you will see the God who says, I will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory as you learn to live to give. Someone said amen. So let's talk about this tithe, and let's talk about this, uh, and this, this, you know, for many people, this, this idea is so radical. This is such a radical concept. Most people, most people give something. Right? About 80% of Americans say that they give something to other people. Uh, most Christians give something. The average Christian in America gives about 2.5% of their income, about 2.5%. In a local church like this, it's a, there's probably 15 to 20% of the people that actually tithe. 40% of the people that come to church are never give a dime. And so you take that other 60%, and it's that other 16, 60% of that group, about 15 to 20% actually give God a tithe. They actually return their tithe to the Lord. It's a very small group of people. But it's amazing to me to see what God does when the group of people who do do it, it's amazing to see what God does in our life. The word tithe simply means 10. Everyone say 10. It's 10%. 10% of all my increase. 10% of all my increase. In Genesis chapter 28, I want you to see this here. In Genesis 28, there are are three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, we see, that, now listen, this is a long time ago. Abraham lived almost 4,000 years ago. Moses lived 3,500 years ago. That's a long time. Everyone say a long time. That's a long time ago. And the Bible says that Abraham, he gave a tithe to God. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. But Abraham had a grandson. His name was Jacob. So tithing, giving 10% to God, had been modeled to him by his grandfather. And in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has an encounter with God. You can read the story for yourself. Jacob has a radical, powerful encounter with God. And this is what I've discovered. People that have radical encounters with God generally tend not to want to argue about whether giving a tithe belongs to God or not. That's what I found. It's just generally that way. Jacob had a radical encounter with God. I mean, it was so radical. He says, okay, God, I know you're real. Your power is real. Then he makes a vow, and he says to the Lord, the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house, El Bethel, the house of God. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Long time ago, 
People have been giving God offerings and giving God a tenth for a long, long, long time. And so this man, Jacob, whose name meant deceiver, was changed to Israel. He gives God a tenth. Now, at City Church, we talk about giving God, or returning to God the ten, returning to God the tithe, and giving offerings. And here's the difference. Tithing is something that automatically belongs to the Lord. It's his. It's it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to, I'm going to give you an illustration in just a moment. But the tithing belongs to God. Offerings are something that we give free will. In our local church, because you tithe, the people in this congregation tithe, we're able to pay the bills. You're sitting in a seat someone else probably paid for. I, re, I remember the time we were at airport campus. I remember the time we didn't have chairs. We didn't have any ability to do any of that kind of stuff. I remember somebody handed me a $40,000 check to purchase the equipment that we needed to move into the campus. It was amazing. I couldn't believe. I had never had anybody give me a check that big before. It literally blew me over. That was a lot of money. Everyone would say, that's a lot of money. But every time I saw one of those blue chairs at 650 East Airport Boulevard, my mind went back to the guy that gave me the check to buy that chair. And there were thousands and thousands of people that had sat in those chairs that had never given a thought to who the person actually was that gave that money. The tithe is the Lord. Offerings enable us to build a building over here that's going to be almost 13,000 feet. Currently has 179 kids that are chomping at the bits, can't wait to get in. It enables us to build buildings so that we can touch lives, so that God's kingdom can be advanced, and the name of Jesus can be made famous in our city. So we return our tithe and we give of our offerings. This is a powerful principle for you to understand. A powerful, powerful principle. So why should we do it today? Why should we tithe today? First of all, the reason that we tithe is because it puts God first place in our life. It puts God first place. Jesus, we're going to read this verse in Deuteronomy, but Jesus said you can't have there's only, there's only going to be one God in your life. And he actually talked about money. He said, you can't serve God and money at the same time. Only one of them can be your God. I'm on Instagram, and I clicked on this follow. I don't know who this guy is. The, question, or the, the title of the Instagram post is, uh, Make Me a Millionaire. And I just clicked on it because I like to see this guy is crazy. But the other day I saw a picture, and it's, and it's him with these stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of dollar bills money. I mean, it's just stacks. I mean, he's got the gold chains around, big dollar signs. And, and he's very clear about who his God is, right? He's making no apologies. He wants to be a millionaire. He wants to live like a millionaire. And we have all these television programs that are geared around it. And then we have the Powerball and the Lotto Ball and this ball. And everybody wants to no, know. They want to be a millionaire. Now we want, to, we want to be a billionaire. I mean, it's mind-boggling, right? But you can only have one God. And the Deuteronomy says it like this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first place in your life. That's why we do it. Because Jesus said, if you seek me and my kingdom... If you seek me first, if you put God first place in your life, all these other things. And he's talking specifically. He's talking about your house. He's talking about the food on your table. He's talking about the clothing on your back. He's talking about taking care of the needs of your daily life. If you seek me first, all these things will be added to you. And so when you give God your first 10%, the proverb says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your increase. You're giving God your first. And so we're saying, God, I put you first place in my life. 
The second thing, when we tithe, when we give to God his, his 10%, we are expressing our love and worship to him. In the book of Nehemiah, long story, but Nehemiah leads God's people. He takes them from Babylon where they're in captivity. They've been held there as slaves for 70 years. Nehemiah gets permission. He's very influential in the Babylonian culture. And he gets permission from the king to let the people go back to Israel, go back to Jerusalem so they can build a place, rebuild the temple and rebuild the city so they can worship God. And so the king agrees. He lets them go back. The Bible says in 52 days, 52 days, they rebuild the walls of the city under Nehemiah's leadership. And at the end of that 52 days, these people are going to have a celebration. God has brought them out of prison. God has brought them out of captivity. God has brought them out, and he set them into a place where they can now freely worship their God. And look at the first thing they do is, verse number 43 says, And on that day, they offered great, everyone say great. They offer great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced. And the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard a long, long, long way away. The sound of worship. The sound of praise. Because see, when God saves your heart, your wallet always gets touched. I remember this so clearly. I've, I've seen this before in people's lives, but I remember a man who came to our church, and he claimed to be an atheist, and one day, man, God was just working in his life. We were in a Bible study, and we just, I remember clearly, I was, it was just so simple. I just read this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just read that simple verse. And the next thing I know, this guy breaks out and starts crying. And for some reason, right in that moment, he realized that God loved him. And he gave his life to Christ. The very next thing that happened in that guy, the very next thing that happened, he came up to me and handed me an envelope. And it was his tithe check for the whole year back. It was $5,000. This guy had never given a dime. But the moment he recognized the love of God, the moment he experienced the deliverance and the freedom of God, the, the moment he realized that God was his source and God gave him life, something was released in his life and he couldn't wait to give to God. And when you begin to worship God with your giving, it gives you a whole different perspective about money. I mean, this is like when people walk in the church and they hear that, you know, it's a lie of the enemy. All the church wants your money. No, what God wants is your heart. Because if God has your heart, the resources, the resources that he's allowed you to have, you freely give to him. Now, the church has a responsibility to be good stewards. That's why you need to good, go to a good local church that has accountability, and the leaders are under accountability, and we're responsible for the money. We recognize that we're steward with the resources that God has given. But let me tell you, when God touches your heart, your pocketbook always gets saved. Someone said amen. And this is where it starts to get a little dicey, number three here. Tithing keeps me from being a thief. What do you mean? I don't steal from anybody. I, the children of Israel, I mean, God had done so much for them, and they failed to recognize it. And in the book of Malachi, the Bible says that they, they were given to God, but they were given kind of haphazardly. It, it wasn't a priority of their life. They just were kind of giving God the leftovers. And God says, would you give the king, would you give the governor would you treat him like that? No. 
And then he starts talking about this area of giving. And he says to them, God says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, bring your whole tithe to my house. Wow. When we give to God, we're giving God his first. Listen, it ain't always easy. As a matter of fact, I have found the longer that you wait in doing this, the harder it gets because life entangles us. And we have so many problems and so many needs. We can't see our way out. But here's what happens when we take this step of faith and we start to give God that which is his. I want you to look at number four. Come on, you put the next one up, verse number 10. Tithing gives God a chance to prove that he exists and he desires to bless you. Come on. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, the only place in all of Scripture, the only place, 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, thousands of chapters, the only place in the Scriptures, only place that God says this, test me now in this, says the Lord. Test me this. Tithe. Give your first ten. Give your first ten. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. So where do we give our tithe? We give our tithe to God's spiritual storehouse. Now we understand this is Old Testament. We understand this is this is that they were they were to give to a place where there was a temple. We understand that we are now the temple of God, but there is a spiritual storehouse where spiritual food is being disseminated. It's called the local church. So when you come and you bring your tithe, you give it to your local church. What you are doing is you are meeting the spiritual needs of that community, so that the name of Christ. So the name of Christ can become famous in your city. Come on, give God a hand this morning. So when should you tithe? When should you tithe? Well, Paul makes it really clear. He says, listen, on the first day of every week, set aside some of what you've earned and give it as an offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. We give sacrificially. We give freely. And we give consistently. This is what breaks the cycle of lack and scarcity and poverty off of your life. Today, it isn't about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. Because all of us are at different levels. Some people are just making a little. Some people are making a lot. I want to kind of show you. I want to give you an example of what I mean. I first learned... I first learned about tithing when I was a little tiny boy. I was a little tiny boy. I, my mom, when I was six years of age, my mom took me down to the, the local bank, right down the street from my house. She took me down to the bank, and she opened my very first savings account. So I started learning about money when I was a little tiny boy, and I liked to collect money. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I, liked, I had a little coin collection, and I liked to collect. Anybody else like to collect money? Come on. You like to collect money? My wife, she'll be walking down the street, and I'll see a penny, and she'll walk by. She will run over to pick that penny up. I'm like, I ain't picking no penny up, but she'll run over. She likes to collect money, too. My mom taught me about the power of a dime, about the power of saving. So I go to Sunday school. I'm eight years of age. I have a Sunday school teacher. His name is Paul Tripp. I'm Paul Soule. 
Paul Soule was my Sunday school teacher. We had a classroom probably of 12 or 13 little boys. We were all in fourth grade. And one day we came to class and he gave every, every student in his Sunday school class, he gave us a dime. And he said, I, I want to teach you about the tithe today. And he be, went, went on and he began to talk about we tithe God our time. We give God our time. That's why we serve other people. We tithe to God our talents. We talked about what our talents are in service and giving. He said, and we tithe God our money. And so I have in my hands here, let me put a camera on there. Can you guys see that up there? I barely see that there, but I got 10 dimes. And God says, test me now in this. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. And so you come to church on a Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And man, this is nervous. This is scary for many people because we've never done this. And we've tried to be generous, but we've given a little. We, we've tried to give, but God says, okay, no, I want you to give me your first 10. So God says, you, get, you give me 10, and then you get to keep the other nine. No, that's, that's awesome. I get to keep 90 cents. I give God 10%. But for a lot of us, this is a huge stretch of faith. I mean, this is a huge stretch of faith. So we start when we have a really small amount. As a little tiny boy, I, I obviously, you know, a dime when you only get 25 cents or 20 cents, my allowance should be 25 cents a week. I mean, that would have been 250, two, two cents, right? Two, 2.5, I couldn't do that, right? So I had to give a nickel, had to give a nickel of that first. That's a lot of money, man, right? When you're getting 25, a nickel's a lot of money. And so when you first start off, it's, it might be a small amount to someone else, but to you, it's, it's a lot. It's something that you've never done before. And, and then, you know, you start to give, and you go to church, and, and uh, I'm going to see if I can find something here. Then you start to make a little more money. You're like Miss Laura and I. We started off our very, very first year, very first year, we made, between the two of us, we averaged $1,000 a month because we made tips. I remember that. And we gave to God. We gave our tithe, right? We gave our tithe, and then we gave to missions. It was the most amazing thing. We, we made about $12,000 that year. We lived so frugal and so cheap that we were able to give God the 10 of our tithe, and we also gave another 10 to missions. We made a decision right up front when we first got married that we were going to obey God with our tithe and with our offerings. But then, you know, so you're starting to grow in this area of faith, and then, you know, you're still in that scarcity. You're still not sure how this is all going to work. And I love chocolates. Anybody here like chocolates? I love, come on. Now listen, you come over to my house and me sharing chocolates with you is a huge sacrifice. I'm not sure I can do it. <laughs> That's a big stretch. And maybe this one month, man, for you to give God. I got 10 chocolates here. God, this is, this is a real sacrifice. I don't know how we're going to make it if I do it. But I'm going to give you the sacrifice of praise, the first fruits of my lips. I'm going to obey you. And so you give God his 10, and he lets you keep the other 10 chocolates. And you enjoy those chocolates, and they're very special to you. And then, you know, you go a little longer, and you get strawberries. You like strawberries, right? You like them strawberries. And then you give God. God said, okay. God, I'm going to give you my 10. Now it's starting to become a muscle in your life, and you give them 10 and he allows you to keep 10 and someone can eat this fruit after we're done today and it's you know your your fruit pile your chocolate's starting to grow here your your faith muscles starting to grow 
You got grapes. So we, how many like grapes? Got grapes, all right. So we get this, we just start to do it. We start to live in faith. We start to trust the Lord, right? We honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of our increase. And he said he's going to make our ways prosper. And, and that's in every dimension of our life. And then one day, one day you get a promotion. You become the jefe. <laughs> you're the boss man now. You're the boss man now. And uh, your paychecks are getting bigger. Now, you've been giving God way, when it was small, you built up that faith muscle, and so now you get that check, and, and uh, you give God his 10. That's a bigger 10, but you still give him that 10, and he lets you keep this 9. And then one day, you get a letter in the mail, and the letter says, your rich aunt that lived in Toledo, Ohio, dies. And she's leaving you an inheritance. And it's a lot of money. Everyone say a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And so it's big. It's a big check. I mean, it's a big, it's grapefruit size check. <laughs> and you look at that check. We sold our first house, very first house. We sold in May of 1998. We bought it in we bought it in the summer of 1995, and in three years, the value of that house increased over $90,000. After we paid real estate commissions and the, the state tax and all that, we ended up with, a, with about $80,000. And I remember this. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money. That was a lot of money. I'm not a real estate guy. I, I, I was just living my life, and, and we were getting ready to start a church in Orlando, Florida called City Church. We were getting ready to start this church. We had no idea where we were going. I just knew we were going in obedience. We were going to go from Seattle, Washington to Orlando, Florida, 3,500 miles. The very first day I put the house on the market, it sold. I got three full cash offers. I had a check for 80000 I couldn't believe it. You know my first thought was, oh, wow. My very first thought, hear me. My very, wasn't, oh, we get to do this or we get to do that. My very first thought was, I get to write God a check for $8,000. You know why I was able to do that? Come on. I was able to God give, that was a lot of money. $8,000 check at any time in my life is a lot of money. We were able to make that, we were able to make that act of sacrifice to the Lord. Because way back here when I had a little tiny dime, I was sleeping on sleeping bags in a two-bedroom, cockroach-infested apartment. When I got the big check, it wasn't an issue. I want you to close your eyes. So what is God speaking to you today? Are you really putting Him first? See, when you put God first, it breaks the power of materialism. It breaks the power of stuff and of scarcity off your life. When you put God first, you're able to expand the kingdom. You're able to expand ministry, see people's lives changed, buildings built, missionaries supported. This is what we do. We put God first. This is what we do as Christ followers. What's God saying to you today? Are you putting him first? Test me now in this, says the Lord. 
what's God saying to you? Some of us need to reprioritize our life. I mean, it's amazing the stuff that we have, the cable, all the other things that we think we need to operate. Some of us are going to need to join a Financial Peace University class and start to learn about money. And Some of us are going to need to cut up some credit cards and stop spending more than we make. And some of us are going to need to reshift the way that we think about the priority of God's house and seeking Him first in our life. Today, all of us can do something. Some of us today, I mentioned it earlier, it isn't about, it isn't, it's, it's not about the size of the gift, it's about the equality of the gift, it's about the sacrifice of the gift. And God's challenging us to do more. Holy Spirit, you're here today and you're speaking to hearts to put you first, to seek you first. We can't serve you in money. God, we give our life away to you. God, help us today by your, by your grace through faith. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to obey you, to put you first with the ten.